Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. Do you feel the presence of the Lord today? Because I do. I want to just welcome you all to this very special Reconciliation Sunday that has actually been planned. It was on the schedule on the calendar, but how appropriate in the timing. Now, I want to make no mistake at the very beginning of this time together that we are a people of reconciliation. And the ministry, in fact, it's our ministry. It's a part of who we are. And the ministry of reconciliation is something that we are all called to as believers in Christ. And I'm going to tell you that no, no doubt about it, that we are coming off a year that at best described is the word divided on everything. When the worship committee was planning this service, we wanted to be intentional that this was going to be one of the first ones that we did in the new year. Because we recognize that this last year was not business as usual for anybody. It doesn't matter where you are, just for anybody. It wasn't business as usual. There was a lot of hurt and a lot of separation that took place and last year and already into this year, already in the first week or so. And as I sat down to focus on what to preach on, what to talk about on Reconciliation Sunday, well, my, interestingly enough, my destination ended up on the book of Philemon. And I read through it, and it really spoke to me, to my soul. And then it spoke to me again as I started to write. Well, I'm going to tell you that as your pastor, as the guy that God has called to stand at this point, at this time, during these days, that I absolutely love you, that I love you in my heart. And I don't say that because it's a Reconciliation Sunday. I say that because I'm called to preach about reconciliation and that we are certainly all in this room, men and women of God. And so I wanted to kind of look into this and go and take this topic, and I wanted to to, to address it and to preach on it on the way that I preach on it, which is through the the Scripture words, not my own. Uh, I could be very topical in this subject matter, and I could really focus in on what maybe we're experiencing and seeing, but I wanted to find Scripture from the Bible itself that speaks on it on this topic and subject so many years ago that are still relevant for our ears, our hearts, and our souls today. And so when I was in my quest and in my search, the book of Philemon ended in my lap. And man, that is an interesting book. 
I don't know if you were able to capture that letter when it was being read uh, by the video between the two songs, but man, I felt like I was in an intimate, personal space with the Apostle Paul, particularly writing this very short letter. It's not really a book. It's just a short letter. It's one chapter. We, later on in years, decided to stick some titles and verses on there, but it was one letter that he was writing to Philemon. Now, as we heard, heard it read, read earlier, this letter is dealing with one thing. It has to because it's so short. It's only dealing with one thing. It's dealing with the runaway slave who is trying to come back home. Now, you heard me correctly when I said that. A slave who was free who is now trying to come back home to his master. Now, if you're confused by that statement, good. You should be. You should be confused by that. Nothing about that statement makes any sense whatsoever that a freed slave would want to go back home to his master. But that's what makes this letter so interesting, is that was the end goal. So let's try to figure this out. Let's figure out what was going on in the mind of Paul and Onesius during this time. When the letter starts off at the very beginning, we're not really given much background on what is taking place. It, you know, there are really only three characters that we're going to see this entire letter. The first is Paul, who right now, at the time of the writing of this letter, is in prison. He's in Rome. He is behind chains, behind lock and key, and he has taken the time to write this letter. He did that quite a bit, by the way. There's several epistles that came out of his time in prison. So that's one. Two is that we see and are introduced to Philemon. And all my research, that's how I'm supposed to say it. But, you know, I grew up calling it Philemon. Anyone else? Philemon? Philemon. And Philemon. And he is a slave-owning Roman believer is who he is. And then we're introduced and we see Onesimus, who is the runaway slave who wronged his master. Well, more on that in a minute. So the letter opens up, as we saw earlier, with the usual greetings that you would see in a letter. Greetings, my friend, particularly if it was Paul. Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we see the typical greetings at the beginning. That indicates that we are entering a personal, intimate space with the apostle, with the author. He's writing this to, to Philemon. And then we first immediately dive into who Philemon is. In order to understand the letter, why it was written, we have to know who it was written to. The per who was that guy? What do we know about this Roman guy named Philemon? Well, we learn here in the first few verses that Philemon is actually a really good guy. Like, he is a good guy. In fact, Paul commends him for his strong faith and his activeness in sharing his faith. He has high respect for this guy. Paul even writes that Philemon gives him, Paul, great joy and great encouragement for just knowing him. Even taking the moment to write the letter brings him joy and encouragement because he gets to talk to him. Now, if we look outside this letter and other scripture, 
and other historical sources, here's what we know of Philemon. That he was a very wealthy Roman, very wealthy Roman, who lived in Colossae and most likely had met Paul during one of his missionary journeys to Ephesus and then became a believer at that time. So when Paul was in his missionary journeys in the book of Acts, it is believed that that's when Philemon met Paul and met Christ. So it is safe to assume that Philemon has respect for Paul because it is very likely, extremely likely, that Paul is the one who brought him to Christ, who saved his soul. I don't know if you caught that in the letter, that he's kind of was speaking on an intimate level that, hey, I don't know if you, you kind of owe this to me. Man. Like, he, they're, on a, they're on a different level to each other because Philemon is believed to have been saved by Paul on one of his missionary journeys. Now, once at that time, there was a church planted in Colossae. Then history also tells us is that Philemon became a leader. In fact, one of the head leaders of that specific church. And so not only is he a believer, but he is on the ministry team that's keeping the thing going. He's the one that's actually putting the roots into the ground and bringing more into the kingdom. This is the guy that we're dealing with right now. So now we got to have an understanding and a base on who this guy is. Now we must answer the question that is probably on everyone's mind. If he was a believer, why did he own slaves? Have you thought of that? If he was a believer, why did he own slaves? Because the whole book is based on it. Now, this is a question that I've gotten often over my years in officership, a question that has been brought to me many times, and I've spent a considerable amount of time in research over this subject. And in order for me to really answer that and to dive into that, we must first erase our Western American understanding of what slavery is. Because there are actually several different forms of slavery in the Roman Empire. Now, the first form of slavery is what you would expect, forced labor. They came and overtook an area, and they then forced this area to become their slaves. We see it throughout history. We saw it in Egypt with, the, with Israel. We've seen it in early American history. This form of slavery absolutely existed. And so Rome was no exception to that rule. So that slavery was present, was present in Rome. But there was also another type of slavery, and this slavery was common for paying off debt. And so if you were in debt, even though maybe you yourself were free, but if you were in debt to another individual, you could go into a contract agreement with that person and give your labor yourself to pay off debt. And so then you would enter into that and do labor-intensive work for this guy until the debt was paid in full. And then lastly, there was another type of slavery that today we would call hired help, who actually did receive a wage for their work. They would often live on site, often with their families. And they did receive a wage from the master of the house. Today, we may look at that as perhaps a butler or a maid, or that maybe Downton Abbey, if anyone's out there, you know. But I'm just saying, you know, kind of in that, that type of setting. And uh, that was also very common. Now, in Greek, here's the thing. In Greek, 
There are actually different names for each level of slavery. But when we translate it into English, it only translates into one word. Slave. That's it. That's all we get in English. And so, through my history research and, and, and spending time making sure I wanted to represent this correctly, many historians and scholars believed that because of Philemon's conversion to Christianity in Ephesus under Paul, that Onesimus was likely hired help. That he was a person that was brought on to work in the household, either to pay off debt or that was hired. Now, in the letter, enters Onesimus, the one and only, the slave that the letter is about. Now, all we know about this guy, the only thing we know is that he did something to the master that completely offended him, who just boiled his, he offended him. We don't actually know what it is and no historian does, but it's speculated that he either stole or he cheated from the household some way or fashion. And so much so that Onesimus felt that the only result to his action was to run away and to get away from this household as fast as possible because he felt maybe there was some danger or at least something coming his way that would not be good. So whatever he did, he felt that the only option was to run. And we don't know how, we don't know why, no one knows how he ended up where he did, but Onesimus, in his quest of running away, ended up in Rome and somehow ended up in prison, visiting the prison that Paul was in chains. And when he was in Rome, Rome he went to pay visit to this Paul. And we all know, if we know anything about Paul, that you're not going to pay any type of prison ministry without going in there and hearing the words of Jesus, hearing the gospel. And so what we learn about this runaway slave is that he visited Paul and heard the words of the gospel. Paul did not waste his moment with him. And then we also learn that he accepted those words and he gave his life to Christ under Paul in prison. And then, it says, he became a disciple and an assistant to Paul. And even though Paul loved this guy, in fact, you can hear that in the letter, he loved this guy. In fact, Onesimus, when you translate it, actually means useful. That's what the word means. He was an, a superb assistant. He was useful. He even did a little play on words in the letter. He may have caught when he said that he at one time was not useful to you, but now he is useful to me, which means he's now useful to you. When you first read that, you're probably going, what in the world is he talking? He's playing on the meaning of, the, of, of his name, useful. So Paul was writing a little joke in there between him and Philemon. So that was a word play on his name. And so what is most interesting, though, now that we've got the character bases and we got these guys figured out, well, a little bit of history about, about the background on why he's running and all that, now comes the meat. It actually comes the purpose and the point of why the letter is written. And that, my friends, is so interesting. See, Paul is not writing a letter that is simply requesting to receive Onesimus back 
into the house to forgive him. Because you see, Paul, even though he really loved Onesimus, and he did, he knew that the moment that he accepted Christ as his Lord, he knew and through his story had learned about this, this unequalness between him and his master, the wrong that he did, and that he fled and he ran, and that there was no peace in this relationship. Paul was the one that pushed him, saying, you must go home, you must reconcile. I want you here. Gosh, I love, I love you. But you have to reconcile this relationship because it's what we're called to do. And so he pushes him and he says, I will send a letter of recommendation on your behalf to the boss. And that's what we're reading. And so when he's there, he's saying, Paul is not writing a letter that is simply requesting, hey, just forgive this guy. He's cool, believe me, you know, he's one, it's all right. No, he's, that's not the request that Paul is writing. The request actually starts in verse six. We wouldn't really understand and know it, but it's when he uses the word partner, partner. He uses it again later in there in the chapter, but he refers to Philemon as partner in certain translations. And what that word translates from Greek is this word, kononia, kononia. The use of that single word in this letter defined the level of request that was being made by Paul. Konania is the Greek word used to describe being equal. Being equal. It was used in the church to describe the fellowship. All of us. Konania. That we are in Konania with each other. That Outside of the church, you and I, we're all different. The world has valued us differently outside of the church. Some of us are valued higher because of our job or position or because of our wealth status or social class that we are then valued differently than others outside of Christ. But in Christ, we are all equal, all in konania is what Paul is saying, such as a slave is equal to his master in Christ. And so when Onesimus left Rome, he, or when he left Philemon originally, he was outside of the fellowship. He was not in Konania with his master. But what Paul is saying is that by the use of this word, he's telling Philemon, that Onesimus is one of us. He's one of us. His eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. That his heart is now free. Oh, Philemon, you should have seen it. That he came in broken, but under the teaching of Christ, you should have seen the freedom that he received. Even though we were in prison together, you should have seen the freedom that was given to him. That he now has a new master in his life. And Paul is asking Philemon to welcome him back as an equal, even though he has wronged him, and technically, he is his slave. Now, this is a huge ask from Paul. This is no small ordeal. This is not like a favor between two friends. 
This is a big deal. Philemon, under Roman law, in this particular case, has every right, every single right, to put him in prison, and depending on the offense, has every right to have him killed based on the offense. But Paul is asking for him to not only completely forgive him, not to say wipe the slate clean, to forgive us, but he's saying to receive him back as a social equal and brother in the family. As a social equal and brother. To have Konania, don't reserve it, but to bring Konania onto him, to bring it over his life, that he is now a member of the family. This is absolutely unheard of. There is no precedent on that. No one does this. This doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And it wouldn't happen. There's no reason in Rome for this to happen. This disrupts the entire Roman social order. It disrupts the whole thing. If he does this, what are my neighbors going to think of me? My family going to think of me? What is Rome going to think of me? Man, this is a bit, this is, Paul, what are you trying? But to forgive and to make equal a slave that has clearly wronged you. What are the others going to think of this now? But it doesn't stop there. No, Paul doesn't just say, let's just call that equal. Paul, oh man. This is a, I'm telling you, this is a, this is a deep letter. Paul, while in chains in Rome, continues to write and he puts everything on the line. Everything. The reconciliation between these two men, for whatever reason, meant so much to Paul that in verse 17 of this letter, he says, this is Paul speaking to Philemon. He says that if you are really, if you're really in Konania, if you're really in that place, if you really are a member of the body of Christ, then welcome this slave as if it were me. As if it was as the one who brought you to Christ. Welcome him back as if it were me. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, he says if Onesimus has done you wrong, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. Charge it to me. I will pay it back. And so Paul is offering to pay any and all debts owed by Onesimus. Does that, does that sound familiar? That it should. It, 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 can you hear a little bit of sprinkling of maybe another Story? You see, what, where else do we see this type of character, this, this type of compassion, this type of sacrifice, this type of reconciliation? Where else do we see that? We see it in Matthew, when Jesus stood at the tax collector's booth. We see it right there. The most hated men in Israel who stole from his own people. And we see it when Jesus stood at that booth and he, oh, he only had two words for this guy. Oh man, and all the disciples were ready for it too. Jesus, let them have it, man. I'm, I am ready. Jesus, give it to them. And Jesus says, follow me. 
follow me. I'll reconcile you to the Father. We see it in Mark when Jesus has dinner with a bunch of sinners. I'm talking the nasty, dirty sinners. And these are the guys who intentionally broke the law just because they wanted to. And these were also additional. Te- we see it in Mark, and we see them having and enjoying a dinner with these guys, and the Pharisees pointing and looking. How dare you eat with such men? Eat with such evil people. And Jesus' response to them was that the healthy don't need a doctor. I came for the sick. We see it in Luke. Oh, yeah. When Jesus approaches a man with a highly, highly contagious skin disease that can kill a man that has been separated from his village, from his family, from his home, has been exiled. And we see Jesus' eyes wander on this man. Heal me if you will, Lord. And Jesus, not from a distance, said, I heard your cry. Come here. You are healed. You're healed. Let me touch you. You haven't had that in a while. Let me touch you. You feel alone. I can feel you're alone. Come here. You are healed. Your faith has healed you. And then, and then we can't forget about John. Oh no. When a sinful woman came in when Jesus was eating, and she poured that perfume on his feet, using her hair to clean and crying. Get this woman away from me. No, 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 no. Let her stay, let her stay. Because these tears aren't tears of guilt, they're tears of freedom. Jesus reconciles, that's what he does. He came to reconcile us to the Father. And we see that actually in all four books. When he went to the cross, taking your and my debt, reconciling the world to the Father through the cross itself. We are a reconciled people. We are. You and I have experienced the goodness of the Lord. Our sins have been forgiven. You and I are reconciled. All of us in this room are dirty and stained, and the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. No matter what images that we have seen or the things that we have heard in recent times, you and I are reconciled people, and we need to act like it and to believe it and to make it a part of who we are, that wherever there is division, we are uniters. That we right now are inundated, inundated with nothing but division. That's the only thing we see. We are divided on politics, divided on disease, divided on if we should wear a mask or not, divided on race. We're divided on an election. We're divided even in the church, if we should even open the church. We are divided right now as a nation and as a people. 
We are surrounded by a world that needs to be reconciled, that needs to know the love of Jesus Christ, that needs to know what God's people are up to. The world needs you and me. But you might be asking yourself, but Captain, how is that ever going to happen? How are we ever going to find reconciliation? How is Christ going to get us out of this one? How is he going to get us out of the racial tensions that we've been experiencing, out of the political rhetoric that we see on the news every single day, out of our, our nation's capital? How are we going to reconcile these things? And based on everything I have read just in this one book today on Philemon, there is actually only one way. His people, you and me, is the only way. It's the only way. That church, listen, if we, if you are in Koinonia, if you are in the body of Christ, then we must welcome our enemies as if we have welcomed Christ himself. To forgive and to erase the debts of our enemies. And I just don't mean any collective enemy of the church, like someone we can all rally around against. Now I'm talking about any person who you in your soul calls enemy. I know that sounds crazy. Because it is. It, is, it completely goes against our entire social order today. But Christ has already paid all debts and is waiting on his people to be ministers of reconciliation. Not only to our earthly differences, but to be reconciled to the Father who has set us all free. And so we're not over yet. It's not done. There's more division, I'm sure. There are more things that are going to try to separate us. But church, 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 I'm, hear my heart. That all of us who claim Christ as Savior, who look at that cross and see that that is where salvation takes place, that all of us who claim that, that our identity should only be in Christ alone in Christ alone and that our ultimate goal regardless of where we sit and where we are that the ultimate goal is always reconciliation not just to the nation and to the earth and to the world but to the father through the cross that's our first objective always will be and always has been and so if there is to be reconciliation we must give our hearts to Christ, our hands to our enemy, and our mouths to the cross. For God so loved the world. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.